This is a Stoppage Time podcast from WEGL 91.1, giving you the latest on all the big talking points from the Premier League and the Champions League. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Stoppage Time. As always, not really, but I'm your host, David Ordway, and I'm joined, as always, in the studio by my co-host, Chris Basinger. How you doing, Chris? Doing well. How are you? I'm doing great. We're also joined by Harrison Schooler. How are we doing tonight, Harrison? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. And Andy Euling. How are we doing, Andy? Good, David. How about you? I'm I'm good. You know, I get both of your last names right every time, and then Chris, I have to double think it because every time I seem to mess it up. It's because it's special. It's because it's special. I mean, it really is. This week's a little new. We had a international break right now, so we're going to go over something that usually we don't like talking about, the United States men's national team. And so they played today against Panama. They won 6-2. to Giovanni Reina, the new GOAT for the United States from Borussia Dortmund, scored in the 18th minute. Uh, we went down early, though, to Jose Ferrado, uh, who had a brace today. But then Nicholas Giochini nailed that, had two goals in the 22nd and the 26th. He had a really nice free kick. Sebat, no, he didn't. Did Giovanni Reina score that free kick? It was Reina's yeah. free kick. Never mind. Ignore that. He had a really nice uh, assist off a header. Or something like that. Sebastian Soto scored a in the 83rd and 90 plus one. And then Sebastian Harrison, help me with this. Legit. Legit. He's legit. Uh, Sebastian <laughs> Legit scored in the 87th. It, it's it's nice to see the United States men's national team win. Uh, and it's also nice to not hear Alexi Lawless talk all the time about it. Uh, that got a chuckle in here. But uh, Chris, what do you think of this young, new, vibrant United States men's national team without? Kristen Pulisic. Uh, see, I, I'd hate to go with the uh, tried and trusted England, England label as a, a golden generation. Uh, but you're right. These kids are young. They're playing remarkable football. Um, there were a lot of moments during this game where they just had Panama on the ropes in the last, I'd say, 20 minutes or so whenever Soto was subbed on. Um, and uh, Timothy Way came on, too. Uh yeah, I, I just love the energy about this team, right? It's something that we haven't seen out of uh, a U.S. national team in a while. I think Harrison mentioned it during the match that uh, over the years we've seen how this team can come away with a lot of emotional victories but not really dominate it on the field. But 6-2, to two, we saw it in this match. These, these kids were playing football, and I'm happy to see uh, how they progress in the future. Harrison, I know you're really into the young United States national team and this new this new bringing youth players in. Uh, I think the average age was like 22.9 or something today, which is extremely young. Uh, I'm basically 22.9 years old. It's my birthday next month. So uh, a lot of kids that are younger than we are. Uh, what, what do you think of this new? I love the look. I think this looks really good, but I have to say it was a switched-up Panama team. And you have to put that into context. You also have to play into the fact that this team sometimes looks like the exact definition of a youthful football team. They play with a lot of confidence, but there are lapses of concentration. We saw we saw a couple today, and that's just what you get. These are the growing pains that you get, but it's a risk that Bearhalter has to take. You are throwing young kids into the fire. I know some of the kids that got the call-ups this weekend were circumstantial. They're in Europe, whatever. They're there. They're building bonds with teammates around them. From what I've read and heard from all the players in the camp, they have loved it. Uh, Joe Keeney 
uh, described it this afternoon as an, uh, uh, a week he'll never forget after spending this past week with the U.S. men's national team. And I just think it's a really bright future ahead. You know, we can't go crazy. Yeah, six goals, and they look fantastic. The ball is pinging around the field much quicker than we've probably ever seen before. But there's going to be some growing pains, and we will play much better competition, and they're going to have to grind out some victories. Can't always play the beautiful football that, in our minds, we should be playing as we march on to winning the 2026 World Cup. The 2022 World Cup is coming up. Andy, we missed out on the last one. Uh, and the one before we made it to the round of 16, I think we lost to Belgium. Uh, am I right with that? Correct. Okay. Uh, and saying that, we didn't make the last one. So are we going to make the next one? I mean, I think they can. Obviously, you know, there's a few tests that they'll have to uh, get through to get to the World Cup. I mean, you know, South American teams, Central American teams are not going to make it easy. You know, they've always got to go through Mexico. you got to go through teams like Argentina, Brazil. But, you know, I think the U.S. has potential. Um, and I'm going to say yes. I think this talent... Uh, give them more time to develop, more time to play in club matches and in uh, international matches. And I think that they can do that. And they've got uh, the spark that they need. They're just going to need to, uh, you know, kind of learn and grow and mature. Uh, and I really am uh, just hopeful for them, especially with these guys playing in Europe. They're getting good experience against some of the best players in the world, and they're getting to play with some of the best uh, players in the world on their team. Like, I mean, Weston McKinney gets to play with Ronaldo. Like, how cool is that? And then um, Dest gets to play with Messi at Barcelona. I'm like, that's really cool. And I think they're going to get some great experience and, um, and learn from these guys, and you know, they can bring that back into the U.S. men's national team and hopefully grow from there. So... With the United States playing really well today, we have a lot of really young players. Uh, Chris, who do you think, other than Pulisic, because obviously he's our star, um, he's our Landon Donovan, except he's better. Oh, than oh, don't bring up Landon Donovan with me. No, 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 no. Oh, Chris e- ever him. since, no, ever since he made those awful, awful commercials promoting Mexico in 2018, I can't, I can't root for the guy. Right, he had some great moments for the national team. I know we're getting off topic. Uh, he had some great moments, of course, uh, uh, but just that that left such a bad taste in my mouth. Like, imagine every time the U.S. goes to Mexico to play, right? Uh, they're um, they're throwing chickens, I, I believe, dead chickens at uh, the the corner flags when I think Josie Altador was trying to take a corner and he got hit with a bottle filled with uh, a liquid that was not clear. Um, it, I I can't I can't promote rooting, I can't I can't promote rooting for your arch rival on an international stage. Harrison wants to say something. I can take over here. I I think <laughs> the brightest spot, barring Gio Reyna, because we all know what Gio Reyna is. We love to see what Gio Reyna is. Yunus Musa. I'm gonna I'm gonna go out and say it. If Greg Bearhalter can convince him to join this national team. He is uh, eligible to choose Ghana, Italy, and England. And this week, Southgate has gone as far as to say they want him in the setup and that he has been in contact with the family of Yunus Musa. But we saw an incredibly talented kid with an incredible stature at a young age and a really strong feel for the game. I, I, I love the way he reads the game. 
I think he's going to be an excellent fit, and he's going to be one to watch because he's the teenager with the most premier, or excuse me, with the most minutes in La Liga, and that means that he had more minutes than Ansu Fati up until Fati tore his meniscus the other day. I'm going to go back to answering that question, David. Uh, I I am really excited for Sebastian Soto, right? He scored two great goals today coming off the bench. It was at that time in the game where Panama, of course, were on the ropes in those last 10 minutes where it, it seemed like um, the, the U.S. could just pass the ball anywhere and it would always come to feet and they could just dribble around him and not lose any possession in the final third. And I think when he's playing so far up the field and he's getting those kinds of balls into the box, when he's getting those opportunities to maybe go one-on-one, I think both the goals that he scored today were off headers, but he's getting into those positions, and that's what I like to see. Andy, you know, Pulisic is our best player. Do you believe that it will stay that way going forward? I think it will just because Pulisic is, I mean, he's the guy – but I don't doubt that other guys can't step in and fill that role. I think, you know, Gio Reyna, I mean, he's playing at Dortmund. He's scoring goals. He's assisting Holland. I mean, I think he can step up and be a guy that the U.S. can count on. But, I mean, I think every team has their main man. I feel like the U.S. can really rely on Pulisic. The U.S. was not the only team, to, uh, though, that has been in action over international break so far. Unfortunately. Unfortunately, uh, a lot of injuries have come to Chris's Liverpool, his dearest, dearest Liverpool, mm. but it, which now doesn't have a fully healthy back line. We'll, we'll talk about that later. Oh, I know. But I just want to say that. Uh, like, I'm sorry for you. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So after being sad here for a moment, let's let's move on. We can be even more sad. At least I can a little bit for England, who has been struggling greatly under manager Gareth Southgate uh, today or yesterday they played a game and the only two players on the pitch that looked like they wanted to be there was Harry Kane and Jack Grealish. Uh, Harrison, how important is Jack Grealish to this English team? I think it's hard to judge. I don't think, uh, since I've been watching England for like probably 10 years now, they haven't had a player like this. He's a bit of a maverick. He's basically doing whatever... Um, Southgate is trying to fit him in with Mount because the media had started the narrative that Mount and Grealish couldn't play together. I don't know how that started, but that was the narrative. Now they've been playing together. They can play well together, but the creative spark that Grealish is, it's its not quite enough. There's so much structure to what Southgate wants because he's so nervous at the back that it kind of handicaps him because Grealish, the reason he looks such a great talent in this Villa team is because they fly forward. They put numbers forward. There's a really great attacking sense in that team. And with England, it's a bit of a struggle. They're just so rigid at times. And the wingbacks aren't as dynamic as they really should be if he wants to keep using that wingback setup. And I I have to say, this isn't just because I'm a United fan. I think we can all agree that they look a stronger side with Harry Maguire in the starting 11. Which is shocking to hear, considering, well, England's center backs have struggled here for a long time. Uh, especially since they, I mean, Rio Ferdinand retired. I mean, talk about a Rolls Royce of a defender. Um, Andy, you know, we're coming up now on Euro 2021. It was supposed to be this past year. Uh, who do you think is the favorite to win the Euros? I mean, it's, I think there's a huge case for, uh, 
for Belgium this year, just based off what I'm seeing out of, I mean, Group F, let's be honest, that is a group of absolute death. You've got Hungary and then three of the best teams in European international football. And one of those teams has to go home. And, I mean, you, you've got Portugal, Germany, and France. That That knocks out one of the contenders for this tournament and i think you know belgium sitting in the other group england and being in a different group i think that's going to help them especially if it were like a france or germany or portugal that were to go home i think that helps their chances but i just think the way belgium's playing though they've got de bruyne they've got lukaku dries mertens i think they're a good team and they've always been hanging in there and to be fair i think they could have gone and won the world cup in 2018 uh, they were that good, and they only lost by one goal to France. And I think that says a lot about them. But also, I mean, if you just look at the talent they've got, it's it's star-studded throughout their lineup. I mean, Germany's really struggling right now, it seems to be. They haven't gotten their full form, uh, even with, you know, these young superstars uh, in, in Kai Havertz and uh, Timo Werner. And they still have a really solid group of players. You know, Joshua Kimmich, is, we've had this conversation on here before, arguably the best player, uh, best midfield player in the world. And he grew up playing right back. Uh, and there was some also some, it was an unbelievable game between Scotland and Serbia, in which Scotland punched their way into the Euros uh, by beating Serbia on penalties. I know Chris is thrilled to see the Scottish boys make the make the Euros. Do you think that uh, they could be like a Iceland and, you know, I, win a game, win a few games? I think they could win a few games, sure. I, I mean, a- anyone can win a few games. Germany was eliminated from the last World Cup. Uh, anything can happen in this. I don't see a clear favorite in the Euros. I think there are um, uh, probably seven or eight teams that I could see even going all the way and winning it. So I you you can't say uh, you you can't define a winner at this point, um, especially just considering all of uh, the injuries that are going to be happening throughout the season. But uh, yeah, going back to Scotland, there there's a there's a good chance that they could really perform. I mean, they got McGinn, Andy Robertson's going to be back hopefully soon. Uh, McTominay, if he keeps uh, improving at United, there's there's a chance that he could be a pretty important part of that team. Uh, even some of the players who are uh, playing in Scotland right now, like uh, Steven Gerrard's Rangers, I believe are still unbeaten uh, in, in both Europe and uh, in Scotland. So, uh, yeah, they could definitely be an, an Iceland type. Uh, and in, in this season with so many uncertain factors at this point, I think this is the kind of season like we're seeing in the Premier League where a lot of teams have a good shot. Yeah, let's not discount the emotion that's going to be riding high for them. Something along the lines of a little over a two-decade absence from any major tournament uh, will have built up quite a bit of emotion in these guys when they show up and uh, are ready to play and probably ready to shock Europe. I talked about it a little earlier, but let's get to it now. Injuries. Uh, International break has been very controversial um, throughout the last few months, especially to covid uh, but this one seems to be the most controversial one yet due to the fact that COVID cases are rising at a very steady rate, not just in the United States, but around the world. Uh, and multiple players, Mohamed Salah, uh, Matt Daugherty, um, 
and I just blanked on the rest of them that have tested positive uh, with COVID uh, since since being on international break. Um, some a bunch of guys on the South Korean national team tested po- positive, and they're in uh, Austria right now. Uh, so, plus there was other injuries. Uh, Liverpool have seemed to have lost every defensive player they have except for Joel Matip, uh, and with the loss of now uh, Henderson with the possible injury, he withdrew from the England squad today. Raheem Sterling also withdrew from the England squad today, uh, and Robertson. Uh, has a problem with his hamstring, I believe. Mm-hmm. And then plus, Joe Gomez seems to be out for a, we don't know how long yet, with a knee injury. So uh, Liverpool is, is struggling on the injury front. Uh, Chris, first let's get a take on, on international break. Uh, what should be the plan going into the next international break due to the fact that you know we can see guys getting covid uh, putting themselves and their families at risk and the team, you know, and then plus the amount of injuries we've had, you know, with this condensed season so far, what, what do you think should be the plan going into our next international break, break in January? So um, I think the, the plan's a pretty simple one. The plan is don't have an international break, right? There, you talked about COVID and you talked about injuries. The injuries are only going to get worse if you force players to fly on a plane train with a whole nother team who does a whole nother system and then play two games for them in that short amount of time where you, while you give the rest of uh, the players a break except for training, right? You also put the players at risk of getting COVID. Now, Mo Salah, um, and I'm still fuming at this, went to a wedding and got COVID there, and he's in quarantine because of that. It wasn't because of something that, that the team did. Um, but, but when players go away from uh, their, their home clubs – they are put at that risk of contracting it either on the plane or at uh, training or uh, if you're in Iceland and your name is uh, Mason Greenwood or Phil Foden. Um, <laughs> but uh, listen, right, injuries are, are huge. I don't have the list in front of me right now, but I can tell you that uh, Joe Gomez is out. Virgil van Dyke, of course, is out. Uh, Joe Gomez had a surgery on his knee, so don't expect him back within four months, I would say, at least. Um, uh, uh, Fabinho is out. Trent Alexander-Arnold is out for another two or three weeks. Andy Robertson, we don't know how long he'll be out for. Hopefully not long. Um, Tiago is still out. Did I already say Fabinho? Um, okay. Did, but yeah. Yeah, Fabinho's out. Um, Oxlade-Chamberlain is maybe going to be coming back soon. We don't know. Mo Salah, COVID, right? So you, you get you get all these um uh, injuries in the first team and you're looking at a completely different team that's going to be put out against Leicester the next week right and if Liverpool suffer their first loss in the Premier League at home in over three seasons because half their team is U23s I'm gonna be angry right I just the the fact that FIFA is taking stock of their players and putting them at risk by sending them um in into Hot spots potentially, uh, potentially um, and having to play with a whole nother um, uh, uh, continuous contact group, if you want to label it that, I, I think it's absolutely absurd. And you look at how many fixtures uh, players are already having to to play for um, their their clubs, right? Carabao Cup, FA Cup, uh, those Thursday trips to Kazakhstan, um, and then uh, in, in the Premier League alone. 
uh, it's really taking a toll on players. And we talked about this at the beginning of the season, but it, we're only going to see more and more players. It's hitting Liverpool hard right now, but it's going to be hitting every other team like this soon enough. Andy, you've seen a little different uh, issue going on at Manchester City right now with injuries due to your two strikers being out. Uh, and what what do you think? Um, I mean, for example, in the United States, we saw bubbles. Um, and we see teams in college football, for example, playing just their conference games. And, and even then, we have games getting postponed, like Auburn was postponed this last weekend. Uh, Andy, what do you think is the the best option for the Premier League and for European leagues in general at this point? Well, I mean, I think it's a hard thing because, like, obviously the Champions League, you know, is probably the biggest issue. The Europa League is one of the biggest issues because you have teams traveling all over Europe and they're going to different places. And they, they'll most likely, you know, be going through airports, going to a hotel, going, you know, to a different team's stadium and playing against uh, that team. And they can get exposed to COVID. I mean, you know, it, it can happen. And I just think, you know, one thing that FIFA has to examine and UEFA should also examine too is like, you know, if it's not safe for normal people to travel, then why are we letting players go? I mean, are are players a bigger deal than normal people? You know, like where I'm not saying cancel the Champions League, but like just think about it. Like are are we treating the players in the same way that we should treat the rest of society. And I think, you know, with these international fixtures, it's the same thing. It's like, if someone is not uh, safe to go travel to a different country, then why are they going to play international fixture? I just kind of question that, you know, you have to kind of sit back and think like, is it really safe to do that right now? And like, I know the Champions League is a big deal. And, you know, there's a lot of money, TV rights, you know, just winning the tournament itself is a huge prize for these clubs. But, you know, you do have to question, though, like the safety of it all. And like the Prem, I think they're fine. Like, you know, you're inside your country. I think there's a different way that that's handled. And every every country can deal with that the way they want to. I think generally the Prem has been fine. La Liga has been fine because it's in, you know, it's all in one country, but it's just the international play just seems to be what's really hurting uh, right now with injuries, but also COVID uh, being on the loose for a lot of players. Uh, Harrison, I have a question for you. Uh, and This is probably not something you would expect to be asked, but uh, the vaccine has been rumored to be coming out now over the next six months. Uh, do you believe that starting next season, if the vaccine does come out in the next few months, do you believe that fans will be allowed to go back into the stadium start of next season? I, yes, I would say so. Uh, full capacity, probably not. I think that it's going to be slowly integrated back into the league. I do not think any of the clubs, even given all the different levels of representation at all different stadiums, you got 74,000 at Old Trafford, you got your... 40,000 at Stanford Bridge, it doesn't matter. No one will be operating at full capacity, but yes, if there is a vaccine, I, I do believe they will probably have limited capacity of fans. Which we can all notice in our games right now when we watch the Premier League. The game's a lot different without fans. Uh, there's been some results that probably would not have occurred. Uh, we brought this up in, before, in, in here before, that if fans were in the stadiums, you know, the singing, uh, the chants, 
how loud it is. It, it would definitely make a difference for some of our teams. And this past weekend, as I said before, we did not have the Premier League due to the controversial international break. But this upcoming weekend, we're jumping right back in with very, 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 very quickly, which I know we're very excited about. Uh, and just in time for towards the end of the semester here, the festive fixtures are coming up very quickly. Uh, so is Thanksgiving, which I know Chris is not a huge fan of <laughs> for some reason. But uh, this upcoming weekend, we have a lot of really big fixtures, including uh, Leicester-Liverpool. As Chris had mentioned before, Liverpool is without their starting back four. So they're on to the subs. Um, and it'll be a really interesting game because Leicester is arguably the hottest team right now. Uh in, in the Premier League and one of the best counterattacking teams in the Premier League. Uh, so it'll be really interesting to see how the, the defense does. Uh, Tottenham Hotspur play Manchester City, which I know Andy and I have kind of jabbed back and forth with each other about. And we'll, we'll get to that in a second, uh, which would be a huge game for both Spurs and Manchester City in which you know, uh, there'd be big points from a big team. Those are the points you need to get. And uh, Chelsea plays Newcastle, another big game. Uh, though it doesn't seem like it, it again, we're, we're so compact here at the beginning of the season that um, these games mean a lot. Arsenal leads, and uh, Manchester United finally seems to get a game that hopefully they're going to win against West Bromwich Albion. Uh, and Harrison, I guess we'll start with you. Uh, you brought up before the show that you wanted to talk about players to watch in the coming, in the future uh, weeks and months in the Premier League and around the world. Uh, and the, one of the players that I know you love on this show is Tariq Lempty. Um, him being uh, linked away to go to Bayern Munich. Uh, also other big clubs. He was a Chelsea product. Chelsea seems to sell all their youth for some reason. I don't know why. Money. 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 And then they go buy a bunch of players that they don't really need. They're <laughs> going. Hmm? Yeah, they bought Ross Barkley and then they loaned him to Aston Villa and now he's playing 10 times better. Yeah, I'll eat my words on that. <laughs> like he's a, like, like I will eat mine too because I thought that was a. I don't know. I don't even know what I thought that. Yeah, was. well, he he just didn't work at Chelsea, right? He um he he was just never going to fit that system. He's not that type of player, um, and he he's able to play more expansively at Villa, and especially with Jack Grealish. You know, uh, I, I have th- some, those two. I have some questionable takes. You know, I don't know if you ever watched the Herd podcast. Where, where Colin Coward talks, and he does a segment mm-hmm. on Fridays, which is called Where Colin Was Right and Where Colin Was Wrong. And I'm going to tell you something. Where David was wrong was Ross Barkley. Yeah, that, yeah. That, that's definitely... I, I think we got to give ourselves a, a little bit of credit here. When he was on Chelsea, oh. we were definitely right. Oh, we're definitely we definitely right. We were 100% right. I don't, know, I don't know what Dean Smith is doing at, at Aston Villa, but it works for... Ross Barkley. It really does. I mean, you know, he was supposed to be like the next superstar coming out of Everton when he was young. Heck, he was the number eight for Chelsea. That's a big number for him. That is a really big number for him. Yeah. I mean. That's Frank Lampard's number. I know. Yeah. And now he's the manager. I still think he's going to get sacked. (laughs) You think? No, but I, I do. I don't know. Who do you, all right, who, all right, we'll start with this. Yeah. Who do you think the next manager in the Premier League is to get sacked? Um, when I mean, when I mean manager, okay. I, I want, I'm gonna make this really clear what I mean. Yeah. I, let's not go West Brom. Let's go like big six manager. Who's the next one to get sacked? Big six manager. All right. 
Can you escape the Ole narrative? I don't think so. I think the media has it really strong. So you could probably weigh your options on either Ole or... I honestly can't tell you anybody else. Nobody gets the criticism he gets. In the top six, I think everybody is very safe right now. If anybody was going to have the plug pulled on them, I believe it would be Lampard because I know how trigger-happy they are in terms of managers there. Arteta seems to have the full backing of Arsenal. They firmly believe in everything he's trying to overturn there and trying to build his own thing. Lampard has had disagreements with the board. They've struggled in transfer windows just as recently as last January to get on the same page. They're struggling now to get on the same page about trying to sign Declan Rice. So, yeah, if you wanted to pick somebody within the top six who could lose their job, but it is still very unlikely, it could probably be Frank Lampard. I, but he's having disagreements with the board after they spend 300 some million dollars on some of the best players you've seen in Europe. Like, not ever, but you get what I'm saying. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, Havertz is... I don't know, Andy, I'm I'm sure Havertz was linked with Manchester City at one point, was he not? Yeah, he was. Yeah, well, the dynamic in that uh, office doesn't necessarily fall heavily with Lampard. They tend to lean more with Maria Granoskaya. Uh, she typically has the last say on all transfers. And there is input from Lampard. Like His word is taken into consideration, but she, she has the last say on every transfer. I'm, I'm going to say something a bit controversial, and... Um, this is not going to be the first to, time. To, <laughs> won't be the first Trent time Alexander that I... Alexander Arnold CDM. <laughs> no. <laughs> you, you've been the only one touting that, right? If, if you play Trent at a central defensive midfielder, all you do is you constrict the amount of space that he has. This is the, this is the whole argument. I'll, I'll get back to the manager thing in a second, right? People are saying, oh, Joshua Kimmich, uh, most informed player in the world. Really great. And they, they managed to take him from right back, right back and put him in midfielder. Uh, in a midfield role, and he's performed really, really well. So people are going off of that and saying, "Oh, why can't you do that the same? Why can't you do the same thing with Alexander Arnold?" And it's because Trent thrives in those sorts of open spaces that you get on the wing. And you're not you're going to be getting if you put him in the middle, you might get those Hollywood passes that you saw from Gerrard. But if you take him out, you might also of, get the slip. Uh, funny, <laughs> funny. Yeah, uh, how, many, how many Champions Leagues has uh, Tottenham lifted? We've won a European title. Funny, and how many has Steven Gerrard lifted? One. One, yes, which is more than zero. You know, okay. Steven Gerrard Back has to the my same point. Yeah, but he didn't win the other five. You, you know, Steven Gerrard has the no, same amount. No, because that happened in the 70s and 80s and, and 2019. Yeah. Steven Gerrard yeah. has the same amount of Premier League trophies that Tottenham has trophies in the last 12 years. That is Amen. sadder for you than it is for me. <laughs> uh, anyways, right, if you take Trent off right back, you're going to get him into uh, more tighter spaces, and uh, even with as good he, as he is on the ball, I would like to continue seeing you know 12 to 13 assists every season from the right back position, which is the most from a defender uh, in the Premier League ever. Uh, so for the controversial thing for the manager, Right. Because, uh, like Harrison said, everyone is very, seems like everyone's pretty safe this season. The media, of course, is going with the only narrative just because it's it's big news for uh, Manchester United, of course. They're going to draw headlines uh, and sell papers. Um, so it, if I would say if there would be any manager that would be sacked, it would probably be Ole, and that's just because of the inc- the inconsistency that we've seen, and he's also had a lot more time 
in the club that Lampard has. Arteta seems safe. Mourinho seems safe. Um, Klopp is, of course, going to be here forever. So I, I think the next manager to go, maybe not get sacked, but maybe go, could be Pep Guardiola at the end of the season if he doesn't re-sign a contract. Andy, if, Andy, if Pep goes, who do you want to see become the next manager of Manchester? You have one name. That's tough because there's a lot of guys out there, but I I know everyone keeps saying the Mauricio Pochettino, there you go. but I would there you go, go with Philip uh, Nagelsmann. Oh, yeah. That's I really one. like that's him. I really, really Julian. like him. Yeah. Julian. Or no. Julian, yeah. Why don't I call him Philip? Uh, Get a little bit of Phil, Julian. Phil Neville and, and Julian Nagelsmann <laughs> together. Uh, Julian. Oh, I wouldn't want yes. that. Yes. <laughs> Yes, correct myself. Julian uh, Nagelsmann. He's great. He's a great coach. I think I really like what he's doing at RB Leipzig. And look, not that no offense to Pochettino, but I just don't want him at City. <laughs> it's just there's hard feelings after what after that Tottenham game in the Champions League. I just no, I can't. But um, I mean, look if he if he wants to come coach City, fine. But I, I, I think Nagelsmann should be the guy that City wants. I think Nagelsmann and Pep have uh, something in common that I haven't seen from any other uh, manager, and that's wearing short sleeves Yes. on the touchline. Yeah. And yeah. just wearing casual clothing in general. Like, they're pretty casual dudes. Uh, until Nagelsmann has to step up for a big occasion, and then you see what he wore in the semifinal of the Champions League, and you see what he wore in the group stage against United. Mm-hmm. What he wore to beat Atletico Madrid, too. <laughs> All right. We got way off topic. But, uh, Harrison, I, as I said before, you want to talk about some upcoming young players and some players in general to watch. So, uh, who do you got? So, two players to keep an eye on that are currently in the Premier League right now. As I've said, and this is not news to anybody, but it is news because of recent developments. Tariq Lamptey. needs you need to keep a close eye on him over the next month. He's got big fixtures against the likes of Liverpool and Aston Villa. And he's going to have opportunities to shine on a big stage. There are links with Bayern Munich recently, and they're desperate for a right back. He does not have a buyout clause currently with Brighton, but I'm sure they could broker a deal with Bayern Munich if uh, they really wanted to cash in. So that's somebody to watch um, specifically because he, he could possibly be on the move in January. And now somebody to watch who hasn't had their breakout moment, and we've been waiting. I didn't touch on it last week, but Eberichi Eze is excellent. His feel for the game is brilliant. His technique on the ball is phenomenal. And he completed the most dribbles of any player in the championship last year, and he's exactly what Crystal Palace need because they love that structured, rigid approach to a game. And then when they break, they break with power, they break with pace, and they break with a little flair with guys like Zaha and Jordan Ayu, and they bring exactly all three of those traits with Eze at such a high level. Now, third player to watch, not currently in the Premier League, that could find himself, unfortunately, in the Emirates. That is the most recent rumor. But Dominic Zobazlai of Red Bull Salzburg probably the best striker of a dead ball in Europe. I, And yes, he is better than Messi on a free kick, in my opinion, because what I have seen from him on dead balls is outrageous. His technique is insane. He's got a great stature at 6'1". He 
He's a really good ball carrier. He can take you off the ball. And then, as you saw him do for Hungary, he can glide. And he is gliding up the field and absolutely lace one into the side of the post and it rolls right in the net. He plays with arrogance. He plays with a creator's mind and a striker's strike. And it's just a dangerous, deadly combination for a 20-year-old who's only going to get better. So keep an eye out for him because he could find himself in England in January. See, I, I have a question about him ending up at the Emirates. Uh, you think Arteta and Arsenal are really that inclined to go out and spend a whole lot of money after that $70 million purchase of Pepe last season and um, just having those players like Lacazette, like Saka now, uh, Aubameyang still being a, a centerpiece in the team, even if he hasn't really been performing uh, thus far uh, in, in the Premier League. Do you see that being more of a uh, January transfer or perhaps next summer? Well, as you know, thanks uh, thanks to your purchasing of uh, Minamino, Red Bull Salzburg don't make it difficult to sell their players off. He has a release clause of 25 million euros. That is a feasible price for a team like Arsenal at this moment. And you slot him next to Thomas Partey, I think that's an excellent combination. Find that midfield balance because I don't believe, Arteta believes 100% in Danny Ceballos for the creativity and all of that. I think you have a perfect number eight in Dominic Sobozai. And Arsenal is struggling. Uh, if you check out Tom Warville's most recent article on Arsenal, you just see that they're not creating nearly as many chances as they were a season ago, and they're not quality chances when they are creating them. I mean, they're down towards the bottom of the league with teams in terms of creating good quality chances and, and a high um, volume as well. They need a player like that. They need a bit of an outlier in midfield because they're so reliant on their attacking force with Pepe, Lacazette, Saka, Aubameyang, all of them. So heavily reliant on them. They need more help from the midfield, and I think he'd bring that. I mean, as much as, as I would rather see him not go to Arsenal uh, from a Tottenham's perspective, I know he is a, a quite an unbelievable player. And I have to say, I think we should do this more often and have Harrison have his own little segment about talking about young players to watch for. Because I, I didn't really know much about that guy uh, until now. And I think that I think that was really cool. I liked that. Would you like a theme tune to go along with it too? We could, we could. And I have to say, while I say he is rumored to be going to the Emirates, this guy is rumored to go just about everywhere. AC Milan and Inter Milan are interested as well as Real Madrid. But uh, Arsenal has remained prominent in these rumors. Mm -hmm. Good to know. And now we are going to move on. I will take over. Thank you very much. Uh, for our next section, which, and if you recall, fellow uh, panel members, at the beginning of the season, we each made predictions of who we believed would finish in the top four and who we believed would be relegated. Andy, unfortunately, you were not here for the first episode, so I'm going to assume that you were completely wrong in all of your predictions. Um, but David and Harrison, you, of course, were both here for it. David actually was in the studio for that one, too. And, <laughs> and so, um, David, I'm, I'm going to start with you. Please don't. So Please don't. I am. Just please don't. <laughs> I, I regret everything I said. So I, I'm going to go over your— Do I get to make new ones? Let me explain. Right. I'm, uh, <laughs> right. I'm going to go over the, the top four that you chose first. 
and I'm going to ask you where you would change uh, or or who would you change All right. uh, in these top That's four. Fair. So starting at uh, number four, you put United. And number three, Liverpool. And number two, Arsenal. And number one, City. I can already see the your your face. You regret all of those decisions. Go ahead. No, I don't regret all of them. I think you do. No, I don't. Uh, I agree with... Uh, okay, I regret most of them. Uh, <laughs> let's let's put it this way. If I had to do it now, no, in no particular order, top four, I'd say Tottenham, Leicester, Liverpool, City. That would be my top four. Mm-hmm. Uh, with three of them already there. Um, I think I was just trying to appeal to the the masses with saying Arsenal and Manchester United. Uh, I really thought Arsenal was going to be a little better than they were, and we weren't at the end of the transfer window yet, so I had not seen. I'd also said that based on the first game against Everton, which was the one I came in here for, I also had said that we were going to be in the relegation battle. Don't please don't ever take that seriously. I didn't actually mean it, but <laughs> you all can quote it. Um, you also, I, I do want to point out. Uh, you did say when talking about Arsenal being in the top four that you could see them struggling if they did not sign a midfielder, and you you named Thomas Partey. Thomas Partey. You you were right. Well, yeah. And uh, they signed him. He's an excellent player. Uh, he's the best player on Arsenal. Uh, but I would say most informed player. At Arsenal, no, at the I think moment. he's the best player at Arsenal. Better than Aubameyang? Uh, yeah, they're close. Peak Aubameyang? I mean, Peak Aubameyang is really good too. Uh, mm-hmm. But I, what I will say is, uh, I I remember having that conversation, and I said that they would struggle without um, a, a midfielder. I think they they need I they need a midfielder. They need a cam. Uh, and so no, I do not have them in my top four anymore. Uh, Chelsea, neither. Uh, I still don't have them. I, I, something bothers me about that Chelsea team. Something special is happening. Wow, I cannot speak tonight. Something special is happening at Chelsea Football Club, and that's not true. Something mm-hmm. special might be happening, but I don't, I don't think it's what everyone thinks it is. Um, and then there's, yeah. there's not a lot of history to go off on for that too. True. <laughs> uh, and then you know, a little, a little jab. I, I, I mean, I, I think a lot of different. I think it's impossible to pick. I still think Manchester City. Uh, if I had to pick a title winner right now, I'd still p- I think I'd pick City. I would. Um, I, that's who I would choose. I just think Liverpool's defense is hurt. Uh, I'm still the one position I'm confident in is I think Liverpool will finish third. Oh, Liverpool finish third. Oh, um, all right, Andy. Andy, would you put who? Who's your top four? All right. So, I I agree with you. I agree with you that City can win the league because I've said it all along that it just it takes health. Obviously, getting healthy again, but also City just needs to hit that switch where it all comes back and they look like the same team that I've watched the last couple years. And I know that they have the talent to do it. They've signed. I I really think when we were talking about players to watch. I think Ferran Torres is someone you have to watch. He's going to grow into the City team, and I think he's going to kind of take over that wing spot that's been missing ever since Leroy Sané left. I really think that he has the potential to do that. But back to top four. Uh, I think it would be City, Leicester, Liverpool, 
and Tottenham. In that order? In the yes, in that order. I think Aston Villa, Chelsea, you know, kind of filter in that five six. Cause I, I think Villa actually are gonna make a run this season. Like I really do think that they're going to make Europe. I don't think it will be Champions League, but I could see them in Europa League. I, so, I really think they're that good. So who is your top four in order? It's Man City, Leicester City, Second. Liverpool, Tottenham. Now, I, I believe last week you said that uh, Tottenham were your favorites to, to win the league. They are the favorites to win the league. I'm not saying... But but he, you said City. What's What changed? I think after the Liverpool game, I saw more positive vibes from City, especially with Gabriel Jesus. I, I know he gets hated on, but I really do think he's motivated. Coming back out of injury, he he looks like he can lead City. I'm not saying he can lead them to a title. I, I think Sergio Aguero has to be back for City to ultimately put up a title challenge and he has to be back fully fit and scoring goals but Gabriel Jesus can do what Pep asked him to do and I I don't you know I don't I don't know how long before City needs to buy a striker I think the winter transfer window could be a time where City does that but if they can get Sergio Aguero back fully fit and then Gabriel Jesus keeps doing what he's doing right now I think City can get back up there and start challenging again. Okay. And Harrison, on to you. Starting in fourth place, you had Arsenal. In third place, Manchester United. Second place, Liverpool. And first place, Manchester City. We're now eight weeks into the season. What would you change? I would swap Chelsea with Arsenal. I had no idea... Mikel Arteta was just going to pull the plug on trying to play total football and was going to become a rigid manager with a structure and a plan to get Aubameyang to score the same way over and over and over, and that was going to be thwarted. So I'm going to put Chelsea in there. I'm going to leave United at third. I'm probably going to swap one and two. Um, I just think City have completely... The, the the relationship with Guardiola has run its course, and it's why I, I kind of disagree with Andy when I think that Pochettino does need to come in. I don't think they need somebody who's going to be in their ear with plans every single day like Nagelsmann is. He's a very detail-oriented guy. I think they need somebody who's going to come in, give a good feel, and kind of just give a new vibe to that team because while City execute Pep's plans very well, they desperately miss the dynamism of Leroy Sané, and they just look like they're going through the gears every single time they score the first goal. It's like they just can't, they can't get out of that. It's, they're, they're almost in a trance. So uh, those are the changes I would make. But I would like to go out of my way to apologize for West Ham and the utter disrespect of just thinking it was a foregone conclusion. Me as well. Me as well. The start of the season was poor with Noble raising all sorts of concern that they had just sold Diagana off to West Brom. And here David Moyes is, the beloved David Moyes, Getting a team to really stick to a structure and get good results and, and have a team and and smiling. he man he managed to do it from home too because yeah. he was gone for two three games, and that that was when West Ham had their best run of games. See, see what I, what I will say is I I was gonna wait till you talked because you have to do yours still right. But but 
The only reason he didn't put Tottenham in there is because he doesn't want to see Mourinho do well. <laughs> okay. Okay. I believe it'll slow down. It's the same thing with Leicester. Um, you look at some of the advanced metrics on Leicester. A lot of what they're doing seems a little unsustainable. At this point, it, it looks on a graph like they are converting a high, very high percentage of their chances, and I think that that'll even itself out. Going going off of that, I think I looked at um, the expected points last week, and they were outperforming by, I believe, five points from where they were expected to be right now. So, yeah, I, I will agree with you on that. It, it seems like Leicester are having a real, a real high right now, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they shortly come down from that. But I do want to press you on one thing. You did mention uh, that Pochettino isn't the man to come in for Guardiola. Who is? No, no, no. Pochettino is the man to come in for Guardiola. Nagelsmann is not the man. Oh, okay, okay. Nagelsmann is not the man to come in. My mistake. So, speaking of my mistakes, uh, (laughs) I had in fourth place Arsenal, in third place United, in second place City, and in first place Liverpool. And I I don't want to steal anything here or be accused of, but I'm going to go with the same top four that... Harrison has of uh, Liverpool and First City, United, and then Chelsea. Just the the development that I've seen from Chelsea, and we did say this at the beginning of the season. What are you looking at me like that for? What is this? You have United third? Yeah. Where? What have you been watching? United third. That's where I have them. I think he Listen. was watching a team that had a really bad preseason kind of pick up the pace and try and figure things out. I you I, you, like, you, I, you tell I, me. Oh, you tell me expected, in good faith. I expected him to say it because he's a Manchester United fan and he has faith in Ole. I respect that. That's totally like I totally respect that. If I was a, man, a fan of Manchester United, I and I liked Ole, I'd say the same thing. But you hate Manchester United and you put Manchester United third over Tottenham? I, I hate all three. Leicester? I hate all three of these teams, but I'm not going to let that influence my decision on who I think is going what to get top four. What? what have you seen? You know what I've, you know, you know what I've well. seen? You know what I've seen? All right. Because they beat Everton. I, I saw Manchester United go and beat PSG, and I saw Tottenham go and lose to Antwerp. Right? That's what I've seen. That's what I've seen. And that justifies I, yeah, but what? Then, but then, I have but, seen. But then Manchester United went and lost to Istanbul. Exactly. <laughs> they, went they, did. They, they did. They did, right? But they have been playing. They they have been playing sure. They've been playing a bit inconsistently, right? But I feel like they have the talent on the field. Right? They have Martial. They have Rashford. Martial they, has not had a shot on target this whole he's year. He's been absent for half the games because of the red card. He still doesn't have a he's the starting striker. He doesn't have a shot on target. You get it to Rashford, you get it to Dan James if he's gonna play well. You got Bruno Fernandez who's going to score all the goals anyways because they're going to get all the penalties. Right? I, I You know I, Bruno doesn't they're United United have had uh, arguably, and you can disagree with me, but they they've had one of the tougher schedules, especially with having to travel. I, I will in, not. In I will Champions not League. disagree with that statement. They, Bruno they have, scores they, more they've, penalty, or they've had he scored less penalties than he has goals in open play. I mean, that doesn't matter. A goal's a goal, right? I think Bruno Fernandez is top three players in the. And League. you you got Alex Tellez who's come in, Cavani who's trying to figure out he's in this go. team. Right, he. I'm just shocked. Cavani, Cavani, let me let me argue my point. Cavani's only had a few games to play, right? 
we were we were all um, uh, questioning Chelsea at the beginning of the season. That's why I left Chelsea off my top four, but talked about that they could be in fourth. David, you left off Chelsea completely. Harrison, you mentioned the same thing, that there was a possibility that they could be in fourth, and now he's moved them up to fourth. I have also moved them up to fourth because I've seen this team uh, develop. Now, can they develop further? Of course. You just of, left of the course top two teams on the table out of the top four. Hold on. Both hold on. <laughs> Being top of the league right now does not matter at all. The only reason you're at, saying that at, is because you're not top of the league. all by the end of the season. No. Of course not. I, I am saying that as, as a matter of fact because I don't see Leicester being able to sustain this. We just talked about how they uh, have been overperforming by five points on XG. They've had one of the easiest schedules apart from beating um, uh, uh, Manchester City Arsenal. when they were when they were weak. Of course, Aguero was out. You're they beat having Arsenal. To, yeah, they beat Gabriel Wolves. Jesus was out. You're having to play Sterling at striker. And we didn't have the defenders that we had. And you didn't have the defenders that you needed to have. Okay, Le- Leicester are overperforming. Okay, Tottenham. Tottenham are ha- have not had a hard schedule at all. I mean, beat Manchester they, United. Okay, six to one. Beat Manchester United six to one in an off game for them where they had a red card very early on. Granted, United scored. Excuse me, United scored first on that penalty. Then we scored two, and then they got a red card. Exactly. Tottenham had a good showing after that, and you, you can uh, you can put that against Ole as much as you want. Right. I'm not putting anything against Ole. I just I, cannot believe that you think that I Manchester see, United I see are that gonna... they are going to have a more consistent season by the end of it. What are you talking about? I literally just explained Harrison, it. Harrison, what Back does Ole do? I, I, no, not specifically Ole. It's the rest of the team. No, what you, does, you have what the does, quality there. What does Ole, you have the quality what there. What does Ole do to make you think that he's going to get third? He gets the big results when they matter. He is constantly building this team up. He's got a good energy about him, honestly. I like what he's given the players, the sense of kind of freedom. And, I mean, you listen to the way all of them talk about him. They love him. They absolutely love him. Um, He's got a really good relationship with some of the best players. And, yeah, I just – I'm not ready to drop the ball on him because everybody seems to think that he's tactically inept or this, that, and the other. He's not good in his press conferences. Just that you can pick him apart. You can pick apart every manager in the league, but it's just not the spotlight's not the same. The spotlight is is arguably five times as bright as any other team in the league, and and it's really unfortunate at times. We've seen it just recently. The most recent example being Mason Greenwood. You just you just find yourself in the spotlight way way more at Manchester United, and I just don't think it's ready to call it quits on Ole yet. I do believe that they're inconsistent. I know they're inconsistent. And that's big, and that's a tall tale sign of a team that might need a managerial change. Because if they can't, if they can't stop the ups and downs, they got to find someone who will. And there are people on the market. They have and, a top four squad. I'll say they will. They have a top four that squad. That I admit. Also, I, I want to go back quickly to a point that you made, uh, trying to defend Tottenham being top of the league and uh, arguing that I'm wrong because they're they're top of the league right now. So why not include I'm, them in I'm the top not four? Wrong. If just, we if we were to... having hold on, if we were having this conversation three weeks ago. When Everton were top of the league, would any of us had said that they're going to end up in top four by the end of the season? Out of top four? No, no, inside the top four. Probably Everton not. were top of the league. And if we had this conversation three weeks ago, I can assure you that none of us would have said that they would have been in the top four. Could they possibly make Europe? Sure. But yeah. are they going to be in the top four? No. So just because you're at the top of the league does not mean 
at all. Southampton is fourth place right now. You really think that they're going to be in Champions League next season? I have to say, Tottenham falls into the category of Villa and Southampton for me right now. They're one injury away from absolutely having a completely different look and feel to their teams on match days. That's it, why it depends I, on who the injury is. If it's Harry, if Kane, Kane goes down, which yes. in in honestly, if there if there are odds makers out here for the most likely to get injured in Tottenham squad, he's at the top of the list. All right, he goes down, it's going to look really bad, and history tells us he's going to go down at some point. He's one in, they're one injury away there. They're one injury away at Southampton. We're really nervous about how they're going to look without Danny Ings. And what's going to happen to say, Leicester City if they were to lose the same Jamie thing about, I think you can say the same thing about Manchester United. Who? Bruno Fernandes. Bruno. If you lose Bruno Fernandes, you're a different team. No, you have Donny van de Beek to slot into that very position. And it changes the dynamic of the team, but you have depth at those positions. In midfield, currently, it's not a huge, huge issue. Yeah, and with, it's striker. How important of a player he is for you, like Harry Kane. We have a backup striker now who can play the role in Carlos Vinicius. So before, yes, Vinicius is decent. Now tell me this: Pogba or Van de Beek could come in to play the ten role for Manchester United. Now, do you believe that Carlos Vinicius would perform Harry Kane's role as well as Pogba or Van de Beek stepping in to perform Bruno's role? I don't think. I don't think either of them will even get close to their roles. I don't think anybody can replace Bruno Fernandes. I, I think Bruno I really believe Bruno Fernandes is one of the top three players in the league right now. And I think you need a player like like he's like he's not your captain, but I think he should be. He is he is a leader. He is he he, is, he, he might be the most important player on the pitch. Absolutely. But, but that that doesn't automatically make someone a captain. Right. No, um, no, no. But I mean like Harry Kane is is, is obviously the leader on the pitch, but Larissa is the captain. Rightfully so. He's the he's the leader in the because league. no one can understand what Harry Kane says. <laughs> Lloris is French and he speaks better English than Harry Kane does. I, I think I think and I, I want to interject about a team that we haven't been talking about in this conversation. The fact that we're talking about these teams: Southampton, Leicester, obviously with James uh, with Jamie Vardy, um, uh, Tottenham, Aston Villa. The fact that they lose one person and they're out of uh, uh, European contention. It's huge, and the fact that we haven't brought up the team that has faced the most—I was going to bring them up in a second. The, the, that we have not brought them up in this conversation means that the the incredible amount of depth, and the fact that even with all of these injuries that we see, Virgil Van Dyke being out for uh, probably the next uh, uh, thirty games, maybe twenty nine, he might show up on the last day. Who really knows? Uh, and the fact that, I mean, Harrison even moved them up to first place. I still have them up at first place. The fact that they have so many injuries but also have the depth to be able to carry on and still, still, um, I, I don't know, garner, garner the weight that they, that they are a title-contending team I think is huge and it, I, I think is, uh, is going to be a huge boost for that team. The fact that they can put in a bunch of U23s at the back line and people can still say they have a shot at winning the title. The fact that after Virgil has been out, I mean, five, five out of the last six games without has... Virgil, Liverpool have won. And the one draw was against Manchester City at the Etihad where Liverpool haven't gotten a point in at least three seasons. I'm okay with putting Manchester United in your top four. Uh, are you? We've been arguing over no, this for the last No, I just was a little minutes. shocked that the teams you left out. Yeah, that's over no. that, like I don't care if you put okay. them in, that's okay. one thing. But okay. if you're going to leave out Leicester or Tottenham... Here's my explanation. Ooh. Exactly what Harrison said. 
you get one injury. Harry Kane injured Tottenham. Might as well be praying for seventh place. No way, Assume, not uh, now. Yes, 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 yes. If Son gets injured, no, maybe not, sixth place. Well, hold on, if Son gets injured, who did we lose from last year? Who did uh, Tottenham lose? From? Who did we lose from last year? Go over the list. Vertonghen, mm-hmm. Michelle Vorm, and I'm going to count Getson Fernandez because he's leaving in January. Are you going to count Erickson for playing half a season? Oh, yeah, I guess I'll count Erickson. Okay. Okay, so those those four players, mm-hmm. okay? Uh, two of them were starters, Vertonghen and Erickson. Who do we bring in? Daugherty, cover at right back. We have two right backs. So now we don't have to worry about playing Manchester City this week. Last year would have been different. This year we don't have to worry about playing Manchester City because we are here healthy. Uh, Sergio Reglion, who plays left back. We have two left backs now. We don't have to worry about that. That's that's depth. Joe Roden, who's a center back. He's an up-and-coming young stud. Swansea fans loved him. He hasn't even had his debut yet. I'm not concerned about center back at all anymore. I mean, I still don't want to watch Eric Dyer play center back, but you get my point. I'm not you get a concerned. fair point. Uh, and Tanganga's back. We're healthy at the back. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joe Hart covers the race. So even if we lose that, we still have a, a, a veteran at the back. Yeah, but I, I'm not talking about the back. I, I'm, I'm talking about you the front. You, you think, on, no. you think Bergvine think, is going to come in and play the I same? Think, I think if we're going to lose a player that will ruin our season— it's not Harry Kane. Who? I think it's pure Emil Hoiberg. With, it, with if, the link-up play? I think if we lose Hoiberg, that'll mm-hmm. have a greater change because we don't have a direct replacement for Hoiberg. The if direct if replacement you, if, for Hoiberg— If Tottenham lose Hoiberg, they're going to end up in the same position that they were in at the last of the, at the end of last season. Because even with all those replacements, even with Doherty, even with regular like, like the, the thing about Kane gonna, is like we can miss lose— I think we can lose Sun now. Because we have Bale. I think we can I think we can lose Sun now because we have Bale and because I think we can lose I mean for God's sakes, Deli Alley's not even playing. Steven Bergman didn't make the Do team. Do you want him playing? Do you want Deli Alley playing? I'd like to see him. Are play. you confident? Save no. that conversation for a later date. I'm not ready to throw him out yet. Mm. I'm Look. not I'm not ready to throw him out yet either. I, I still think he's a stud player. But in saying that, yes, Harry Kane would be a I mean that's like losing Sergio Aguero. I mean, I, I'm serious. I mean, it is. Or, or Mohamed Salah for an extended period of time. Or you lose Rashford. You know, and even though you have people to replace him, now we have a backup striker who actually is a decent striker. He's not Harry Kane, but he's decent. If we lose a player that you cannot replace, Kevin De Bruyne, you can't replace. Can't replace him. I don't think you can replace Salah. I don't think you can replace Van Dyke. You can't replace Fernandez. And I don't think you can replace Rashford either. For us, Kane, because I think he's the best player in the league right now, and Hoiberg, because I think Hoiberg, the, the direct replacement for Hoiberg is Oliver Skip, and Oliver Skip's at Norwich right now. So I think an injury to Hoiberg would be devastating more than Harry Kane. Now, you, you say you say if Liverpool lose Mo Salah, you cannot replace him. Well, I present to you, Jordan Shakiri, the power cube. He's been performing very well. Is he Mo Salah? No, Mo Salah scored eight goals so far in the season. Half of them have probably been penalties. But you also get Diogo Jota, right? 
And now Liverpool are having to transition into the 4-2-3-1 to be, be a bit more defensive. We saw it against uh, Manchester City. There were a few holes. I think Kevin De Bruyne, and we touched on this a couple weeks ago, Kevin De Bruyne got a bit too much space, and that led to the goal was uh, Mane coming off, trying to defend one way, and Gina Wijnaldum going the other way and giving uh, City that pocket of space so that they could get the ball into Gabriel Jesus. But um, I, I do think that Liverpool have have the depth. Van Dijk being out is huge. That is a ginormous miss. Um Right, but you still have Matip. When Virgil was out, Fabinho played at center back. Fabinho got man of the match. When Fabinho was out, Reese Williams came in. Reese Williams was man of the match. Uh, when you went back to the to the Premier League because um, uh, Nat Phillips isn't registered in the Champions League, Nat Phillips came in, played against Sheffield United, man of the match. Right, so I, I think you're still seeing those those players being able to come in and play to that same quality. Right, maybe not as Virgil, but the team as a whole. Right, soccer is a, a weak link game, and the the links for Tottenham, the links for Leicester, the links for Southampton, the links for Aston Villa are going to be a lot, a lot weaker if, if that main link breaks. Right, Salah out, Diogo Jota in, Shakiri in, heck, Divagarigi in, Minamino <clears throat> in. You play a four-two-three-one. You get Henderson, Wijnaldum, and then heck, you can even play Naby Keita as maybe even a ten in that role. You, I, I you just can play think, him on the I left and Mane up top. They're all going to be a little. Now I, they're, they're we more have big games coming up. I think you're going to be a little surprised. I think I think Andy agrees. I think you're going to be a little surprised with the Spurs team. Yeah, look, I, I'm just I'm going to go back to what I said last time. Was this season is not going to be like what we think it's going to be? Is COVID cases? rise and injuries continue to mount for big teams that are playing in a lot of you know competitive fixtures and a lot of competitions in Europe I think we're going to see these little teams actually give some fight because they're not playing in as many games as the rest of these big teams are I think Southampton's an example Aston Villa's an example and so is Leicester City Leicester's been to Europe before they've won a league title with some of the players that are on this Leicester team Brendan Rodgers has been in a title fight. I think that they will compete. I know they may not win the title, but they're going to be up there because I think they're just that good of a team. And, yes, they are one injury away. I mean, Jamie Vardy going out can hurt them. We saw what James Madison did to them. Yeah, yeah. and James Madison is a great player too. But I think Leicester's a little bit more complete with some of the signings that they've had. So they will – fight and so will Tottenham I think you nailed it with Gareth Bale I mean he's not a Harry Kane he's injury prone though too but he is injury yes he is injury prone but he's still a quality striker and he can fill that role it just is going to take time and I think Tottenham's at a good place too so I think we're going to see a strange season there's going to be a lot of teams up there that we don't normally see you know, in a league that's usually top six heavy, where it's like, you know, Liverpool, City, Man United, Chelsea, kind of that order, in no particular order, of course. But, you know, it's just like, it's you know, it's usually like very big six heavy, you know, top four. But now this year, I just think with the craziness that is 2020, why not Southampton? Why not Aston Villa? Why not Leicester City? I think they have a chance. All right. Well, we got to get to predictions, unless Harrison has something on he The last small thing I will add that is of course unquantifiable to do with this what you will you have to give Jurgen Klopp some credit and you have to take into account the belief that he has in his players 
and how much that genuinely shows up in those players' play. It rubs off on them. He's probably the most effective manager in the league at this point, and I, I just don't think we can underestimate how much it, how great it feels sometimes as Nico Williams or um, whoever may be coming through, Curtis Jones. It, they have the full backing of currently the best manager in the world, and that does so much for them, I imagine. He's, he's making it work, and the players have now, they've moved into Kirby, as, uh, as they refer to it, um, and, uh, or Kirkby. I, th- I think they refer to it as Kirby, though. Um, and, I, yeah, I think Jurgen really inspires the young players. He plays them in the Carabao Cup, sure, and the FA Cup, but when he needs them to step up, they step up. And I, I think that it's that kind of belief that's going to push them over the season. We might not see all the technical finishes like we were talking about with the U.S. men's national team uh, that we're hoping for in the future, but we're going to see those emotional finishes. And it's going to be those types of teams that are going to be able to get over the hump and get into the top four by the end of the year. So as I said before, after this is probably the most off-script we've ever gone on this podcast, and I like it. I think, I think it's really good. But uh, we have predictions to do, so we're back on script again. Um, and right now, Chris is leading nine out of fourteen. Nine out of fourteen. I think I have four. Sure. Four. Harrison has like five or six. Uh, Andy, he has like zero. Yeah. I don't know what he has. I will. We'll give you five. All right. Um, so this upcoming week, uh, I guess we'll start with Chris. Yes. So. Uh, I'm running out of teams to pick, so I'm going to have to be very tactical about these two. But uh, I feel like luck's on my side because I've lined up with two good picks this week against two of the teams that have been struggling the most. Uh, And that is I'm going to be picking West Ham over Sheffield United. Sheffield, we really don't know if they're going to get relegated or not. Um, I think, Harrison, you were the only one to mention it uh, back when we did the predictions that you think that they might be ones to watch to get relegated, but you ultimately did choose West Ham. And I will say, going back to that, I I did choose Aston Villa to go down, and I was incredibly wrong. And I eat my words. Where and Ross, Chris was right, and and Chris was wrong. Chris was wrong, and now Ross Barkley and Jack Grealish are proudly on my fantasy team, and I hope that they uh, perform very well in the future. But uh, yes, I will choose West Ham. David Moyes is a legend. <laughs> I never thought I'd say that. Uh, maybe the, only this season in the bubble. Um, but I, I see them going over Sheffield United. And then for my other one, going to be picking Crystal Palace over Burnley. Uh, Roy Hodgson's got a little bit more magic left in him, and uh, Burnley have been struggling. Andy? I'm going to go with Leeds United over Arsenal. And then... I'm going to go with Leicester City over Liverpool. Mm. Wow. Mm. Wow. That hurts. That hurts Harrison. I will be taking Leeds over Arsenal as well. And on top of my apology for West Ham earlier, I am picking them to win this weekend. Oh, I have decisions to make because I also have to be a little tactical. No uh, I'm taking no Everton decisions. over Fulham. I have not picked Everton yet. Uh, 
tried to hold him off to the end. Richarlison's back, right? He is. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. Maybe I'll get away. Barring any COVID complications, he is. And yeah. this last pick was tough because there's two teams I haven't picked yet that are really good. That I, I mean, I think are good and could win this week. Um, now I'm going to be taking Aston Villa over Brighton. That's my that's my last choice. That's fair. I, I was going to pick Leicester over Liverpool, but I I held off. Uh, you can't make it three. Yeah, I mean, gotta, I'm hoping my two will get me points this week. But that is going to do it for this week's episode of Stoppage Time. Uh, with the break coming up, I uh, hope everyone has a safe trip home for Thanksgiving. We will be back next week, though, uh, to speak about last week's games and the upcoming week. But I hope you all have a good week. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Stoppage Time. You can follow us on Instagram at stoppagetime91.1 for news, updates, and more. Be sure to tune in next week for another great episode on Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts.